creativity is a messy business. I was reminded of that recently as I was painting and decided to invite my kids to join me. Next thing we knew, we were splattering paint, trying to be experimental. It wound up everywhere, literally everywhere. But it was so joyful. And I wish that we could always see the messes of our creative unfolding as joyful, as belonging. So often, we're in such a big hurry to arrive at our arbitrary arrival points that we miss the moments of joy and beauty in the messes, in the midst of, in the always becoming. I wanted to have a conversation with Santa Barbara-based artist Maria Rendon. Maria is originally from Mexico City. She studied design at the Universidad Anahuac in Mexico City and Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, and worked for two decades as an illustrator before she turned her practice to painting, receiving an MFA from UCSB, and emerging as a singular creative force of her own making. With multiple exhibitions and critical acclaim, uh, she actually has made it in the art world. We'll talk about that in the interview because Maria eschews any concepts of arrival. I met Maria because she is my sister-in-law's stepmother, and I have to say, this was also part of the impetus for having this conversation. I have been in Maria's studio, and it's difficult to put into words when you are in the presence of a true artist in their studio, what that feels like. Uh, the closest thing I could describe it as is a really, really holy cathedral, or those moments when you find yourself in a really stunning, natural, beautiful setting that takes your breath away. Being in Maria's studio was like that for me. I have followed her work ever since I met her, and I'm in awe of the ways that she explores hybridity, um, moving beyond dualities, her attention to presence. To put it bluntly, Maria is a mystic. So, as always happens when I have conversations with artists, it doesn't matter if you don't consider yourself an artist. If you are living and breathing, you are creating and have a lot that you can take away from this conversation. Tune yourself to her frequency. Listen for the contrasts and how she breaks through again and again in this delicate, tender, and intimate trust of herself and her deep reverence for the always becoming of making. One quick production note, Maria recorded this interview from her studio in Santa Barbara, which made me very, very happy. So you will hear some background sounds of birds and dogs and an occasional gardener. Just make it part of your experience. Just imagine that you are sitting in her studio in Santa Barbara with the two of us having some coffee, talking about the deep mysteries of creativity. So with that, let's dive into this conversation with artist Maria Rendon. Maria, thank you so much for being on the show today. I feel especially excited to explore the overlay of, of art and hybridity and the lack of definition, the embrace of lack of definition, and all of these beautiful, juicy concepts that you explore in your art. So thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. It's really a pleasure to yeah, wonderful. this talk. You know, I usually like to begin by talking about 
the maps that we're given when we're children that are handed down to us in order to make sense of reality. And I'd love for us to start with this question, you know, growing up in Mexico City, in your environment as a child, what map were you handed growing up to make sense of the world? Uh, well, I was raised Catholic. Um, that's one of the main things that were given to me when I was a little girl. And it's that expectations and rules about Catholicism where you have to be a good girl. And it, I'm not saying it was a, a bad childhood in the sense that it was too um, too constrained or too rule-oriented. I, I had a beautiful childhood with a lot of love. I had my father and mother that gave me tons of love. My mother was a little bit more stoic. My father was super loving. But then I also had a great aunt that lived with us that never married. And she was a little bit uh, sort of a nanny for us. And that was total unconditional love. And that, I mean, she went to church every morning, but she also was the kind of person that would if we were punished for whatever reason, she would be the one to give us, to kind of hug us and make yeah. sure that we were not feeling um, badly after the punishment. So, I mean, there was some punishment, but also a lot of love. So that's yeah. basically the, the, in a nutshell, what I grew up experiencing. So very much practicing Catholic, very much a part of your daily life, you know, the fabric of what you grew up in. And one of the things that I think about with Catholicism, because, you know, growing up in Spain, it's so much a part of the culture mm-hmm. that it's almost interwoven with the culture. And it's so visual, you know, there's all these rituals, there's all of these paintings, and there's the incense, and there's the... Um, do you think that impacted you at all as an artist to have such a visual religion to grow up in? Mm-hmm. Our church was particularly beautiful, and it was about maybe five blocks away from us. And so we would walk to it and uh, it had the dark wood and all the elements to it and the height. And so it is a really beautiful experience to have, to go and worship whatever you're told to worship at that age uh, in that environment. It's really beautiful. And I still love the the ritual and and everything that, that surrounds it. It's just the... The idea of fear or the the notions of fear that that come into the mix that that you're told if you don't obey or if you're gonna go to right. hell that kind of thing right so right. I think that's it's strange to have that duality of, uh, of first feeling sheltered in this beautiful place but also being terrified yeah exactly <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. so was that duality what caused you to venture beyond the first map that you were given I'm curious like what at what point did you start to go beyond the map you were handed, you know, the belief systems you were handed, or when did you start adding pages to it? Um, I was somewhat a stubborn person in the sense that um, I was very inquisitive. When I was uh, going through high school, I was into physics and math. And people asked me, were you, um, did you draw when you were little? Or when, when did you start painting? Or what, what were your influences, art influences? And they weren't that, I mean, going to see a Frida Kahlo, a, a painting by Frida Kahlo or going to see the murals in Mexico City. That's for sure something that influenced me or impacted me. But I wasn't somebody that started drawing or doing caricatures. My thing was more, um, there was always an existential part of me where I would always ask my, my mother, 
why am I me? ¿Por qué soy yo? Why, mm. why do I exist? It's, I was like four years old. Wow. <laughs> I would look at the sky and I would kind of touch my skin and I, and I would go, there's, I really don't understand why I'm in this world. And my mother was like, why are you asking me those questions? So I think that inquisitiveness and basically this craving inquiry and discovery, that's kind of like what intuitively made me want to add those pages. And so professionally, I decided to, well, I studied graphic design in Mexico City at the university. And then I decided to go to study illustration in Pasadena at Art Center College of Design. Mm -hmm. And it was not anything that was expected of me. Um, my mother was like, why are you doing this? You have a boyfriend, you can marry it in a couple years and have kids. And I was like, I just don't think I want that for myself. And I, it's weird because, mm -hmm. I mean, at that age, most of our decisions, I feel, or my decisions were very circumstantial. I mean, you can't say that at those years you're like, oh, yes, I'm so wise that I'm going to do this and do that. <laughs> I know exactly it, what's next. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely circumstantial. I had a friend at college that had gone to Art Center and that told me about it. And he, he said, if you're really serious about it, you must go to this school. So, and I tried to go in or to, I applied when I was fifth term. I didn't get in because also English as my second language, I didn't pass the TOEFL exam or I didn't get the, the right score. And then eventually um, I did it again. My father was like, oh, don't worry, finish your degree here, thinking I might never leave. <laughs> But <laughs> it's the Taurus in me that was, was like, um, once anything gets in my mind, I'm going to go do it. And so, so I think personally, it was that inquisitiveness of always mm. wanting to search for more. And then, mm. and professionally, I just wanted to add more skills to my toolkit, I guess, and decided mm. to go study elsewhere. So it, organically, you start realizing that some of those maps that you're given are not the right ones for you or those paths. And then you, mm. you start picking up new pieces. And I don't think I was ever angry. Uh, I was just like, well, that doesn't work for me anymore. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Were there pieces of the map that you did take with you as you left what you knew behind in this kind of both personal and in the development of your art, you took this huge leap forward because of that sense of hunger that you had about more, the inquisitiveness you mentioned. Were there any pieces of the old map that were comforting that you did keep with you? Or did you just kind of leap out into the unknown without having any of those security markers to look yeah. at? Yeah. Well, I think um, every time I look at who gave me love and kindness when I was growing up. Um, that's such a, an amazing foundation for me. My great aunt, um, when we were little, when I was little, she would say, ponte agua bendita, put mm. holy water on yourself. And just so that nothing bad would happen to me or to us. And something that I do right now in painting, I work with very liquid material. So I add water to paint. And I've been collecting rainwater. I use tap water and I put a couple drops of holy water in my paint. All my tubs of paint have holy water. So I feel like it's kind of my way to say to myself that kindness and that love that mm. you were given and was poured into myself. I feel like it's something that I need to hold on to. And in a way, And sometimes I talk about this thing that I do, that's, which is very ritualistic too, which mm -hmm. goes back to the Catholic rituals. 
So maybe kindness in a nutshell or love. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. try to hold on to that and embrace it. And um, sometimes cynicism is hard for me to de- really define. I looked it up, and it's to doubt and also to be sarcastic. And most of the time, I don't understand sarcasm. <laughs> I'm always I always go to the to the more uh, to feel more than question. I guess I don't know if that if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. It makes perfect sense. And there's something that was kind of coming to me as you were describing the pieces of the map that you took with you really were the sensory experiences of love that you were given, the really positive human. But as you describe it, they sound rooted in the senses, you know, the touch, the being held, the the being blessed with holy water, the sensation of the water itself. And so... That strikes me that so many times we talk about religion as though it's a, I don't know, like a freestanding monster or a freestanding building, but really it's people, it's humanity, and it's our relationships within Mm -hmm. those beliefs that shape us the most. Um, It's really beautiful. So, Maria, as you ventured out into the unknown on your own on this quest to discover yourself, discover your voice as an artist, was there ever a time when your maps failed you, when you felt totally and completely lost, when your world was turned upside down, was there ever a moment where it was like, there is no map for this, I don't know where I am, and I don't know what's next? I feel like that happens a lot. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I could pinpoint moments. I mean, grad school for me was, I went to grad school later in life. I finished grad school in 2014. So I I was an illustrator for about 20 years. I had a solid illustration career, but I was telling somebody else's stories. I was not telling my own stories. I was illuminating or or drawing articles or books that somebody else thought about. And that was nice for me and interpreting visually what other people's words were. That was great for me for 20 years. But then um, even though I was still, I was doing personal work all the time, there was a point in my life where I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do my own work, tell my own stories. But I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to um, what to get out of me. And how, and how so, old were you at that point when you I, had that insight? Um, let's see. It's Ish. 2008. So uh, I'm, I was born in 65, so 2005. 30, 40, 40-ish. Okay. And so... I was so trained to be given those stories and interpret them visually that I just didn't know what I wanted to say. Even though, you know, I would write a poem or or I would make a piece and I had a really strong voice as an illustrator, but Mm -hmm. it was more of a style, a visual style. It wasn't something that came from my heart. And it's, and I feel like it's an ongoing path. Hopefully I will never arrive. I have friends that tell me, Every time, like when I have an exhibition or whatever, oh, you've made it, you did it, you've arrived. I'm like, I'm, I just don't feel that way. People say that there's seekers and finders. Um, once mm-hmm. some people, when they are looking for something and find they're happy with that, I feel like I'm a seeker. And maybe that's also going back to the why am I me or um, it's just the way my brain was given that constitution of always... Um, wanting to look for more or search for mm. more. I've been lost a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, it's it's magnificent to listen to because 
you know, I think so many of us feel that whenever we find ourselves in those moments, when we don't know where we are, or we don't know what's next, we're almost conditioned to think that there's something wrong, that we've strayed off the path, that we're not on the map anymore, or that we've lost our way, you know, even just that expression. Mm-hmm. And yet, one of the things that I'm fascinated about, and one of the reasons why I wanted to make this show unknowing is because it strikes me that those are actually the most powerful moments of insight is when we don't know where we are, when we when we can't find our bearings by looking out around us and we have to ask ourselves the questions of what do I want to do next? And if you don't mind, I'm going to probe a little deeper into this moment when you said you, after 20 years of, of doing illustration, you were like, okay, I want to do my own thing now. And what was that process? How did you begin doing your own thing? How did you, and of course, you were always doing your own art on the side, but in that moment, was it this leap into, okay, for the next month, I'm just going to start painting only what's inside me, and I'm not going to take any more jobs, and I'm going to see what happens? Or tell me about that experience of courageously leaping into the unknown. Well, I had no idea how to do it. (laughs) And one of the things that I uh, decided to do was go back to school to have uh, a sense of community or have Mm -hmm. conversations with people that were probably going through the same experiences that I was going through. And and that was helpful. And at UCSB, this is where I went to grad school, there's these um, studios that were under the stadium And so we were all together painting or making and having conversations about what our preoccupations and our desires and our interests. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I believe that making, showing up in the studio, showing up for you, either writing or going into the studio, it's helpful to make. And then that making gives you the path. I think for me, that's what it was. In grad school, I didn't there were three things that we did. I was funded the whole time I got a, I got a fellowship. But um, with that, I had to teach. I had to write a thesis. And I also had to produce work. And I would feel so overwhelmed because I didn't have time to work in the studio. So I, I made these projects where I would go into the studio and I immediately would pick up a brush and put um, paint down. It's those machines that you produce around your space that circumstantially give you the path. So I didn't have like a, oh, yes, I'm going to do this. Or yeah, that. I it was wasn't linear. Lost and I didn't, no, 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 not at all. Yeah. In the beginning, I was like, okay, I don't want my work to be, I've, my work has always been very experimental, especially the work that I'm doing right now or fine art, if you, if you want to call it, or be, being an artist. I don't usually start with an idea. The making triggers ideas. Um, That's how my final concepts are formed. And just recently I've started anchoring those thoughts or those ideas more into latching on to more specific things and then starting from there. I do these observational drawings of forms in nature and landscapes and then I paint from those drawings initially and then I leave them alone and react to what I'm doing painting wise and then occasionally I refer to them, but for the most part, I leave them alone. So I feel like it was helpful for me to have a little bit more of a more specific way to start. And that's been helpful lately, but uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. And it reminds me of James Finley, who said, in describing religious moments or spiritual moments of oneness with the divine, he said, we cannot make 
those moments of oneness happen. But what we can do is make the conditions around us such that it's more likely that those moments of oneness are going to happen. And so as I was listening to you describe that leap, it's like you had the community, you had, well, you were thrust into a structure, right? Because you had to teach and you also had to create and you had to work on your thesis. And so but in addition to that, it was the the putting yourself in the conditions, <laughs> like you right, said, exactly. the making, the showing up for the making, and then allowing that to lead you almost like blindfolded. I mean, that's the image I'm having. It's like you're somewhat blindfolded. It's like you're just being led by the instinct to create. And that, that seems like those were the things that allowed you to discover then what truly was yours to offer. Yeah, and a lot of the times, um, since my work is very experimental, I'll do these traditional paintings, and then I have this, in my studio, I have a, the floor is covered with plastic, and a bunch of paint falls onto it, and I've been using that peeling off or um, removing that paint onto paper, and then working from those accidents or chance-oriented, when you were talking about chance and control. There's a lot of that going on in what I do. Um, I will set up my my environment and then once I'm in my own little world things happen I guess mm. I would love to talk about your process a little bit more but before we jump into your process was there a moment Maria when you felt like you trusted your own voice like you know was there a moment when you felt like you had cuz we you mentioned that you know your friends say like you've made it you've arrived but when was the moment when you felt, yes, this is it. This is how I want to create. This is what I want to offer the world. Was it somewhere in that grad school process or was it early on in that? Or was it after that? Was it coming out the other end of that? When did that moment of clarity inside yourself, not about knowing where to go, but as an artist that you felt like, this is me, this is my contribution? Well, in illustration, I felt like there was a point of clarity where, okay, I want to be an illustrator. I'm going to do this for a long time. And I thought I was going to do it my whole life. So that was one time. Hopefully in your life, there's all these moments where you're like, no, I need to change routes. And I feel like I'm in the process of trusting myself or trusting that, that I've made this decision. Um, that's just the way I feel. I, I, don't, I just don't feel like um, I'm hoping that it's going to be a path that will never necessarily be all tied up in a bow. Mm. That's so profound. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's also so comforting because I, I feel like I'm in one of those major seasons of unknowing, both personally and professionally and artistically. And it's it's the sense of, I don't really know what's next. I'm between jobs. I'm single. I have this inner compass that seems to be pushing me toward that more. I just don't know what the more is. So to hear you describe your own arrival as not arriving to a place, but simply trusting this path and your inner compass is actually really comforting because then it means maybe I'm not so lost. <laughs> okay. I feel like some people describe home mm. as, as a house or a place. Mm. Sometimes you just need to be at home in your heart and mm. trust that whatever that means, even if you don't know what your path is, that maybe that's home. There's a an essay that Manny Farber wrote. Manny Farber was, I think, a film critic. He talked about termite art, termite art that it's basically, it's elephant art versus termite art. Elephant art is like the high art 
uh, the one the the art that's there that's arrived that's complete and then termite art is the one that is always trying to find and moving and eating at whatever is around you and i feel like it's very important to know or to have some sense of direction that's why mm -hmm. when i was talking about these drawings that I'm doing that have a higher level of specificity. I think that's important. And that's, again, something that I've created for myself to kind of latch onto something. It's Thomas Carlyle that says, the man without purpose is like a ship without a rudder. Basically, yes, it's good to not know where you're going, but it's also important to have a little bit of, of, to be going. of an idea yeah. of where you want to get to. Yeah. Asking yourself what I'm doing, why am I doing it, mm -hmm. for what purpose. I think that's that's important to always ask yourself those questions. So I'm, I'm not talking about, oh, I'm just embracing whatever comes and I'm just throwing paint around. Right, <laughs> it's right. Not, it's not that. It's it's There's it, a discipline with, involved yeah. in a, a direction, yeah. it seems. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm... I have my skill, I nurture it, I, and I ha I'm rigorous about showing up, but also I'm open-minded to be receptive to what's coming. And I don't, seriously, I don't want to be, I don't want to arrive yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's such an invitation yeah. because it's, you know, the showing up then becomes the practice of you showing up. And in many ways, for those listening who may be like, okay, but like, I'm not an artist, so how do I? The showing up includes our willingness to ask those deeper questions that you're alluding to. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I feel like so much in life, we go into this autopilot mode of living out the expectations or the first map that we were given, you know, as we were talking about earlier, where it's sort of like, you do this, and then you do this, and then you go to this, and then you get this degree, and then you get married, and then you have the two kids, and da 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 da, -da, -da you know. Mm -hmm. But to have the courage to be a successful illustrator and look in and say, is this really what I want to be doing now? Or is there something more? So I'm treasuring that, I'm adding that to my map. <laughs> and then I'm also... I feel like the what you said about, you know, there needing to be a little bit of direction, you know, having direction doesn't mean that you know what the end destination is, but okay. it's sort of trusting the movement of the one step and then the next step, you know, it reminds me of the poet David White, where he says, take the next step, the one that's right in front of you, the one that's hardest to take, you know, not the one that's 10 steps ahead, but just what's right in front of you. And so I think that's okay. also really powerful to consider is like, okay, what is the developmental next step in front of us and to trust that rather than the ultimate destination? Right. I feel like as an artist, we, we have a responsibility to put out something that is meaningful and, and that we have a certain purpose to putting something out that's meaningful. I don't know if you've read What is Art by Tolstoy. In a nutshell, he talks about how art is truly something that lasts the test of time, but it's also something that needs to be meaningful with a purpose and also that it should be accessible to everybody. That's the key, so, yeah. Yeah, that's the key. So there's a responsibility as an artist. You don't want to just put out something that doesn't have that sense of depth, for you at least, initially. And then... Um, Hopefully that when you put it out, then whoever's looking at it has some sort of reaction or, or conversation with, with what you're putting out. I'd like to go into that a little bit because I wanted to ask you about the relationship to the outside world. And 
as an artist, as you said, and Tolstoy's you know description is so perfect because it's this responsibility, as you mentioned, to the inner depth as it communicates and connects with those around us. Because I think in many ways, we can be so self-obsessed or self-absorbed that we think, no, 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 this is my own thing and screw what everybody else thinks. But really, at least this is true for me and in my music, right? That the moments that are most deeply satisfying as an artist is when it connects. When somebody has an experience and that there's these invisible threads that come together between the creator and the observer that actually weaves that deeper sense of meaning. Um, so I have a question, which is in the world of social media, Instagram, and constant comparison, <laughs> yeah. how do you maintain that integrity to your depth without being toppled the outer observers in your world as an artist And what advice would you give us about living in relationship with our own depth and our own direction, but also being in communion and in communication, right, with others? So how do you keep that balance and how might we? I feel like being honest with yourself, trying to identify why you're doing what you're doing, what are you doing, and to go in deeply in your heart and soul and and putting it out genuinely and with honesty. I mean, there's, there's an idea that you should put out something relevant, but relevance can pollute honesty because relevance could also have to do with social justice, which sometimes that gets a little polluted. I just feel like truly knowing who you are and nurturing that, nurturing your skills, nurturing your path and putting something out that's meaningful to you first. I feel like all that judgment or all that comparison, I think, goes out the window. If you're sure with what you're putting out is something genuine and, and meaningful, uh, I just don't think that that's important. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm putting blinders um, on myself, but because I look at a lot of painting and and or art, for the most part, and Robert, my husband, always says, once you're in in your own little world. You're always in your own little world. What kind of, I mean, I come into my, in, in the studio and all, all those influences, I mean, they're, they're probably in my brain and maybe right. I, they, they will uh, direct some of the stuff that I do. But for the most part, my space becomes just me. And then hopefully with, with rigor and, and nurturing, I will mm. put out something meaningful. There's a, a quote by Borges. Um, he's, one of my favorites by far. Uh, he presented seven lectures and, and it's, a, it's a book that you can buy. It's called Siete Noches or Seven Nights. He delivered them in, in Buenos Aires at a theater. And they're all kinds of different topics, la, the divine comedy, um, all kinds of things. But the one about poetry is where this quote comes from. And it says, uh, I don't know if you want me to read it in Spanish or in English, but I'll say it in English. Beauty Beauty, for me, is a physical sensation, something we feel with our whole body. It is not the result of judgment. We do not arrive by way of rules. We either feel beauty or we don't. Borges was so successful at putting out something that was beautiful and meaningful and personal. And I mean, he became blind. He was blind for a long time. And and he there's definitely some personal elements into what he into his poetry and but we're human and we don't want to we're always going to 
maybe feel like we're being judged, but I think it's helpful to know what you're putting out. Um, That's, yeah. I'm fascinated by the expression of beauty as something you feel with your whole being, your whole self. And this playful, seeming contradiction of you asking the question, who am I <laughs> at age four? <laughs> Why yes. am I even here? <laughs> but also learning how to trust that beingness in you, learning how to look at the world around you, but also trust your own inner compass. And this act of going into your studio and kind of letting it all fall away. Again, I'm struck by the theme of the senses. It seems like it's a sensory process that you are involved in. So let's dive into your process now because you've written, or I should say, there's gorgeous excerpts of interviews with you that I literally was stunned by as I was preparing for this conversation because to me, it reads like the best and most profound spiritual teaching. So <laughs> you're going to get to hear me read you back to you. <laughs> but this is uh, an excerpt from an interview where you said that you're intrigued by how the presence of absence can generate new realities, hybrids of existing forms. And you say that, you know, for me, this is you speaking, transformation of environment and sense of self. By painting disembodied animals in a landscape, organic, ambiguous body parts that bond or intersect onto each other, and resurrecting the unexpected. I mean, that line, <laughs> resurrecting the unexpected. I want to put in front of the viewer a labyrinth a puzzle they can resolve themselves and encourage them to reflect on the idea that the end of the indefinite, the always becoming. And I feel like I could just read that. You were just quoting Borges, but to me, I'm like, that's, that's this is right up there. <laughs> so I would, I'd love to hear about this, um, this deep commitment. You know, it's almost as if you've made an altar to liminality in your life and in your art. Did this come from, your experiences in life? And if so, what began to weave that for you? And then also, how have you found that process in the creation of your art to keep it in that flow of liminality of, as you said, the always becoming? Um, I feel like loss, for one thing, um, hard losses are definitely um, something that's been part of my path. And also, living in the United States, but being from Mexico City, um, mm, just mm. Uh, in terms of the way that, like spatially, the way that you interact with people in Mexico versus here is so different. That's one thing that I can think of. So I feel like liminality, I feel like I'm always sandwiched in the middle of, of two cultures. Um, mm, yes, mm. I'm a U.S. citizen, but I'm also a more more Mexican than anything. And so that's an, a personal experience that informs mm -hmm part of that statement loss or moving to a new place or once you you lose i feel like i mean i'm just envisioning losing a part of my body or losing um by walking or moving through a path you you start kind of adding parts to your body i don't know if you've seen my octopus teacher that movie where the octopus is um camouflaging itself and starts adding shells. That's just the image that just came to mind. Yeah. When loss happens that is out of your control, then you have to figure out a way to make yourself complete. And so that's what makes us all hybrid. I mean, hybrid is, yes, you are your, your, your own self, but also you're picking up pieces along the way. That's so awesome because it's like, first of all, that imagery is powerful because what it says is 
it communicates a lot about your experiences with loss and your willingness to face them. Because I find that at a lot of what culture teaches us about loss is like, okay, yeah, but then it passes, you know, or then you should get back to normal, then you should go back to doing what you were doing before or, and what you're saying is no, it's a loss, that part of you is gone. And you can't really keep walking as if you still had your left arm, it's gone. And it communicates a certain willingness to really look at that experience in the body and accept it that there is a physical experience of loss. And then it also says, and it's not a but, but and you you find other pieces that you can kind of layer onto yourself. So the story isn't done. Um, and as you said, the always becoming feels like feels like a powerful kind of comfort that isn't trying to dilute the reality of loss. Yeah, there's an image that comes to mind. Tumbleweeds are, you know, you're familiar with tumbleweeds. These are Russian thistles that when they lose their footing, they're, they're death. It's this plant that is doesn't have any life anymore, but has all kinds of seeds. And it's uh, while it's tumbling throughout the landscape, it's spreading life. Where you have a great loss, you part of you, I guess, dies. Or mm-hmm. but then, hopefully, there's a certain energy that you where you could try to figure out how to become alive or become whole again. The imagery of that tumbleweed, which is that there's maybe after death. You know, we're getting really philosophical about this tumbleweed, but like, but maybe after the loss, the new life comes in the giving. You know, it's it's in the it's in the making. And again, coming back to your admonition to put yourself in the making and don't worry so much about the what of the making but put yourself in the posture of the making because there's something about communicating expressing giving loving creating that is healing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and has that been true in your life you know in the interplay between your personal life and being an artist was art a way to help you heal from loss? Was that a part of your process? It is, it is. But there's a, there was a specific moment uh, when that was so true. And it's very personal. I lost my first husband and I decided to make the urn where his ashes were going to be for the funeral service. And I went through a really horrible few months and maybe a couple years. Um, but those few days I was just distraught and I felt like I couldn't live without him, that mm. I was not going to survive. And so making that urn out of wood just helped me survive. I could say that it saved my life. But I feel like um, there have been moments in, in life where that's maybe on a lesser intensity that definitely aren't I have a lot of friends that are going through hardship and making or going into the studio and delving really into their practice. It it helps them tremendously. So I feel obviously now very fortunate that I that it's it's something that I can always come in my space. Another very a little bit more of a personal at the beginning of quarantine, I was reading all these articles about the virus and about how this thing would go into your system and through breath, which usually heals you, like all this oxygen that heals you. But then there's thing in this air that you're breathing that can kill you. 
I mean, I was just having a uh, horrible experience uh, with with all the information that that I was choosing to read, and I decided to make a flower a day. In the month of May, I made uh, a painting a day of a flower. It was obviously spring, and I decided to paint them and put them out on social media and sell them and donate the money to um, to a couple nonprofits in town, and that was very healing. It was like, okay, I need to put myself in a completely different situation. I can't uh-huh. keep reading and coming up in the studio and doing something every day. I mean, it didn't necessarily save my life. Maybe it, it saved my life because, I mean, stress can be a very powerful thing. You're saying stress can be a powerful thing. It's like our minds are such weapons, right. really, of producing anxiety, producing, you know, even as we were talking earlier, producing that stress, that pressure of performance, of comparison, of all of the things I feel we most suffer from <laughs> as human beings is is sort of located in that center of the mind. And so as we discuss your process here, when you're in the studio, can you locate where you are in your body as you're working has that occurred to you as you're in that space and process or is it the type of thing where you're just you're in this flow and time seems to pass and where 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 does that center go in you as you're working i think it's more of a flow i work on paintings that are small like table size and i also work on large paintings like four by five feet so some of that um of that experience is way more physical and i'm like carrying yeah. a, a panel that's bigger and so it's kind of like a very bodily I guess versus yeah. um the the painting that's more with your wrist instead of your whole body mm-hmm. there's a difference with, with that but I I enjoy both ways of working in a more intimate way I did a series of drawings that became an installation that that were very delicate line and very delicate shape and and I almost had to hold my breath to make the line straight so it's very enjoyable for me to do to do both to have it be more like a yeah bodily and also intimately physical and intimate I guess it sounds so present, the way you describe it. Your sense is engaged, you're moving in a particular rhythm and flow. And I know you brought this up a little bit before, but I just, I found this so fascinating, the the combination of chance and control. And you, you, you mentioned that lately you've been spreading this plastic and kind of utilizing that as well as part of your artistic expression. So why I'm fascinated by it is because I feel this razor's edge of chance and control is so much what I think we're looking for as human beings. It's that that playful creativity, the devotion and the discipline, but also the surprise and the mystery and not getting so caught up in the control that we miss the opportunity for chance. So can you talk a little bit about that edge and how you were able to locate that and how you locate it in your work? A lot of the times it's purely accidental. Uh, like, <laughs> for example... Um, Paper, I work on paper. I do work on paper. Mm. And if I put liquid material on the paper, if there's a surface underneath the, pa- the paper that's either cardboard or, or, or even paper, the paper sticks to whatever's underneath it. And so when you pick up your, your piece of paper, then you're having to battle the, with the edges and, and then your piece is torn, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, 
So I work with the, with water-based media. It's acrylic and, and flash and your acrylic doesn't stick to plastic. You can, or it sticks, but then you can peel it off. So I was like, okay, let me try something. So then I covered a little area with, with plastic and so peeled off per, uh, without sticking to the bottom. So that was kind of a, a machine that I created that was completely accidental, mm-hmm. was to solve another problem. And then I was peeling off my pieces of paper. And then the actual paint came, the paint that was not on the paper, that was not originally on the actual piece of work came off. And it was this beautiful veil of paint, just paint. And I was like, this is a really beautiful artifact so then I guess it goes back to that showing up and 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 being open to all these circumstantial accidents and seeing the potential in it too like okay I I think I can can do something with it I can use this and initially I was just picking the the paint up and and leaving them alone but then I had Mm -hmm. like a stack of 50 works and five were good and the rest were not. And so now I'm manipulating the ones that are not good and, and making something out of them. So I guess with chance and control, you embrace the chance. And then hopefully if you know, if you have a little bit of a of an image of where you want to go, then you mm-hmm. can direct your, your ship to that. And ultimately I decide what stays or what doesn't. I mean, letting my materials have a little bit of agency, but <laughs> hopefully yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm the boss, I guess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not, not the boss, in this, but you, you kind of want to know where at least. or, or You're how, in relationship with Or me. at least yeah. always try to learn the, yeah. the path. Yeah. Um, honesty and nurturing, I guess. That's such a cool moment to see you in this moment of like peeling it away, realizing it worked, but then also peeling the paint away and being like, oh, this is also its own beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And there's um, there's something about that, Maria, that's like it's a, a willingness to really be in full attention, to be able to recognize the gifts and the preciousness of the gifts and not be wasteful and not miss it, you know? Because if you weren't present or if you weren't fully there, if you weren't paying attention, it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking of this line by Mary Oliver in turns where she says, she says, listen, maybe attention isn't the perfect prayer, but it must be close. And, you know, she's talking about beauty. She says, what else could beauty be for but to pull us into that full body attention? And she calls that prayer. And so I think hearing you describe that process of chance and control to me is very reminiscent of the moments when I have most felt deeply present in my own life to the point where even the accidents or disruptions or things that my kids do or the things that my kids need or the cat knocking down the thing, it doesn't, you know, throw me off my seat of presence, but actually becomes part of the art (laughs) of the day, (laughs) becomes part of the art of the moment or the art of our relationships. So I'm curious about your life map now and where your growing edges or where you're most feeling intrigued. You named that currently it's anchoring in an actual idea to begin with an actual idea, but is there any more you want to tell us about where the growing edge of your map is, where you're pushing into next or as we all slowly emerge from this time of COVID, what's emerging in you? I think there's a lot of people that I love in my life that um, decide to take their own path 
that may not be my path or the path that I think might be the path for them to, to make sure that I respect their decisions and to respect that my way is not the absolute way or the, or the best way that they can live their life and make their own decisions. I think that's, that's important. And um, I mean, there's a couple of conversations that I've had with people that I love that are really illuminating about, well, I, I thought this was the way, but it's, it's not. And so I feel like, I guess, respect, be more respectful and, yeah. and be not so um, set in my ways for other people. I mean, I could be set in my mm. ways for what I want for myself or what I want my work to be. But, um, but not for other people. So the unknowing, unknowing the part of you that wanted to exactly. define or judge. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. which kind of is full circle, kind of the theme of this conversation, the always becoming, you know, the, the not arriving. Um, but what's beautiful is that you're saying, even in your relationships now, it's about not look, not deciding where other people are on their journeys either. You know, it's it's the capacity to look at other people as as being on their journeys, as as they are in the process of their own. You know, ongoing, always becoming. Right, exactly. That works for them, and and not for me, or or, or and vice versa. I think it's their own powerful decisions, and and it is beautiful to be able to get rid of that judgment the instinct yeah. of yes. that yeah. well before we close and this is just selfish <laughs> but i i think because i am in such a period of unknowing myself is there any advice you would give me in the midst of what feels like you know i'm 38 i have no idea what's next what advice would you offer me in the midst of of this season of unknowing I think that Borges quote is what mm -hmm. I wanted to really emphasize that this space between the object that we're creating or the thing that we're creating and ourselves, that ambiguous space, what we call other beauty or art, hopefully it happens without the judgment of it or the analytics mm. of it, or like, is it yeah. good or is it bad? So a way to figure out how to make something like that for yourself not out of, will my kids like it? Or will that be accessible to the world? I feel like mm -hmm. if it's accessible to you and to your deep knowledge of you, it'll be accessible to the world. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it does make sense. Final, final request. <laughs> Would you read that, that quote from Borges in, in Espanol sí. to close us out? <laughs> so this is from Siete Noches. Tengo para mí que la belleza es una sensación física, algo que sentimos con todo el cuerpo. No es el resultado de un juicio. No llegamos a ella por medio de reglas. Sentimos la belleza o no la sentimos. Precioso. So this quote is a little bit before the end of the lecture. And I'm going to end with even more, more profound excerpt of a poem by Angelus Silesius. I think it was a 1700s poet. I think it's a German poet, and so he reads it in Spanish. You know how for Borges, it was always talking about the sound of language and wrote a whole paragraph about Luna and Moon and how Moon was so beautiful and Luna was not that beautiful to listen to. And, <laughs> but he says, so this, the excerpt of that poem says, La rosa sin por qué, 
Florece porque florece. The translation is the flower without the why flowers because it flowers. Is yes. it something like yes. that? Yes, yeah, yeah. It flowers because it flowers. Yeah, don't judge it. Don't question it. Search deep and know yourself and put out something that's meaningful to you based on who you are and without worrying about why. That's what I try to do for myself too. That's the, that's the only reason yeah. why I say it to you. <laughs> Well, I receive yeah. it with my whole heart because this idea of blooming and just to trust the process of blooming uh, feels like feels like the invitation from this conversation. And on so many levels, Maria, thank you so much for being willing to spend some time with me this afternoon and discuss your journey, your art, your heart. Um, I know it's going to be such a gift. It is already a gift to me, but I know it will be a gift to many more. So hey. thank you. Muchísimas gracias. Te quiero gracias, mucho. Gracias, <laughs> Yo también. Muchísimas gracias. <laughs> so we're learning how to not be so dependent on maps and trust our own experience of always becoming... But as Maria said, it helps to have a sense, a little bit of a sense of direction, even if we don't know where we're headed. So here are a few True North pieces of wisdom I'm taking from this conversation. The making shows you the way. The making triggers the ideas and the inspiration. To not know, but to put yourself in a position of making is to discover whatever is next. I don't know about all of you, but that, that right there, that's like, that's going in the golden Bible of creativity. This is why we show up to our practice. This is why we must be present because the making is the compass, is what will help us know where to go next. Second piece of true north wisdom. Oh my God, I love the dance between chance and control. She mentioned that she controls her environment, her setup, what she describes even as machines, the certain processes and rituals that she does when she creates. So I'm asking myself, how do I need to create the right conditions for creativity in my life, for love to unfold in my life in a bigger, more expansive, more liberatory way? What are the machines, the rituals that I need to turn to every day? I know some of them, but consider what those might be for you. There is no arrival. We are on the path of no arrival. Maria said, your heart is your home. The destination of arrival is not a place. It's not an arrival point on a map. It's not when you have quote unquote made it or are successful or when you find that, you know, super dashing Prince Charming of contemplation and creativity that's out there somewhere. Those are not the arrival points. It's when you trust yourself and you lean into that trust into your own heart. You arrive within yourself. We arrive within ourselves. I also really loved when she talked about the difference between elephant art and termite art. It's okay to be making termite art, to not know where we're going, but if we can trust that our carving out of the unknown, our eating away of what's in front of us, the trust, the intuition, the instinct to keep moving, we can trust that that's making something beautiful, whether we see it or not. 
That's it for this episode. If you found this conversation helpful or meaningful, please consider rating the show or share it with a friend. You can also join the community of patrons who make this podcast possible. To learn more or for some resources on this path of creative possibility, visit unknowing.org. This music was brought to you by Avila, band duo that I'm a part of. You can find this song. It's called Some Understanding. Download it wherever you get your music. And remember, as Rilke says, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves. I'm trying to.